You are listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church Carlisle, a local church in the south end of Louisville, Kentucky. For more information about the life of our church, visit us at SojournCarlisle.com. know how you should imitate us. We were not idle among you. We did not eat anyone's food free of charge. Instead, we labored and toiled, worked night and day, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. It is known that we don't have the right to support, but we did it to make ourselves an example to you so that you would imitate us. In fact, when we were with you, This is why we commanded you, if anyone isn't willing to work, he should not eat. For we hear that there are some among you who are idle. They are not busy, but busy bodies. Now we command and exhort such people by the Lord Jesus Christ to work quietly and provide for themselves. But as for you, brothers and sisters, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, Take note of that person, don't associate with him, so that he may be ashamed. Yet don't consider him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. May the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you, be with all of you. I, Paul, am writing this greeting with my own hand, (laughs) which is an authenticating mark in every letter. This is how I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning. And uh, thank you, Paul, for bringing the scripture this morning and reading for us. It sounds like the first day of school in here, and I love it. Um, For those of you who don't know me, my name is Bradley Speaks. Uh, My wife... Jessica and I are members here where we've served since the beginning of our time as Sojourn Church Carlisle, and it is a humbling and joyous thing to stand before you and bring the word of the Lord to this body. It is such a joy to call this body home. Throughout the service today, we've been rehearsing and reminding ourselves why we do what we do when we gather as Sojourn Church Carlisle on Sunday mornings. We come now to the scripture reading and sermon portion of our service. When we proclaim the word and preach the gospel here, when we hear the word and receive teaching from our pastors, we're invited on Sunday mornings to drink deeply. We're invited to have our imaginations enlarged, our understanding of the gospel expanded, and to have our love for our Savior and his church grow. In his book, Desiring the Kingdom, author James K.A. Smith argues that we humans are above all desiring creatures, and that desire lives within our bodies. We are what we love, and our love is shaped by formative practices that we find throughout our lives. Our physical habits take a hold of us and aim our desires to certain ends, and that's what we do here on Sunday mornings when we rehearse the gospel story throughout our liturgy. 
Our aim when we gather is to remind ourselves of the reality of the gospel through word and action so that our lives will be transformed. With that in mind, let us turn our attention to today's text. And would you pray with me as we do? Father God, we thank you for the grace of this body and each of our lives, for the service this morning, for calling us to yourself through the work of Jesus. Holy Spirit, we invite you here to open our hearts and our minds to what our brother Paul has written. Jesus, we thank you for the work that you've done calling us to yourself and to one another. In Jesus' name. Today's sermon is the last in our series called Growing Pains, a testimony of how a young church grows and develops. We've been taking as our source text for this series the Apostle Paul's two letters to the church in the Macedonian city of Thessalonica. Paul's goal in these two letters was to encourage the beloved community toward right thinking and right living. And my thesis here this morning as we work through this text is this. As brothers and sisters, we're called to live at peace with one another. That peace is important, and it's worth our effort. As a brief reminder, the Thessalonian church was established when Paul, Silas, and Timothy visited Thessalonica during Paul's second missionary journey sometime around 50 AD. The book of Acts chapter 17 describes that while in Thessalonica... Paul preached the death and resurrection of Jesus and proclaimed Jesus as the true king of the world. Their time in the city ended abruptly when a Jewish mob turned the Roman authorities against Paul. And at that time, a man in the church named Jason and others posted a security bond to prevent capture by the city authorities, and they fled quickly to a nearby town. Paul continued his journey, leaving Berea a short time after, and Silas and Timothy stayed in the region to spread the gospel and work with the new believers. These two letters we've been working through this summer were likely written in response to reports from Timothy and others about the budding young church. The first letter was written around 51 AD, and the second was written quickly after to correct some misunderstandings of his first and to reiterate, and as we'll see, strengthen and admonition regarding the way some of them had been living. When Paul would write a letter to a particular community of believers, it would be transcribed and then transported by a trusted brother or sister, delivered on Paul's behalf to the community. Word would likely spread among the community that a letter from Paul had arrived, and they would gather to listen as the letter was read aloud and likely discussed. It's likely that Paul chose Timothy to deliver to the body of believers this letter. I'd like for us to imagine the setting as our brothers and sisters in Thessalonica gathered to sit under Paul's teaching. Sorry, I thought you were telling me to move this up. As Timothy arrives in Thessalonica with a letter from Paul, word spreads quickly among the community. Perhaps believers moving among the streets of the bustling port city would have pulled each other aside and shared the plans for the church to gather. Maybe word spread among Christians working the docks at the busy port that a new letter had arrived with encouragement from Paul. As tradesmen worked in their shops and in the nearby fields, they'd catch each other's eyes and maybe ask if they'd be at the gathering later. Families 
moving through the markets with children underfoot, whispered excitement about what inspired teaching or maybe correction Paul had written and sent to them. Others still, perhaps those who Paul directed this portion of his letter at, were maybe just hanging around, complaining about food shortages that were prevalent at the time. Maybe they were waiting for the church to gather so they could get a meal or argue with someone about the end times to prove a point. Maybe they wanted to tell everyone that Jesus had come. We don't really need to work anymore. We don't need to worry about anything anymore. No matter what they came with, the church would gather, maybe in the home of Jason, like we read in Acts, or a prominent lady who had come to be a believer, or someone else who had space to accommodate a crowd. Maybe the room looked something like the one that we're in, maybe a little different. Maybe instead of pews, there was a reflecting pool with manicured topiary around, and there were oil lamps lit in the colonnade surrounding, and as the body gathered, a church leader took Paul's letter and began to read. Maybe some, as the letter was read, were aware that they hadn't quite taken his first letter to heart, and they were there reluctantly. Possibly others were proud of their good works or knowledge, sat in a prominent place waiting to be called on. Maybe there were those who were waiting to have an argument settled. Others came tired from being persecuted for their newfound faith or from a day filled with verbal assault from non-believers. Maybe others even with questions, confused and wondering, how do I live now in light of what I know, what I believe to be true? By the grace of God, church, this letter is not just for the young Thessalonians, but for this young Louisvillian church too. Probably when we gather on Sundays, we're not too different from these. Maybe we're tired, maybe we're hopeful, expectant, maybe we're not sure what's going to come from the pulpit. Maybe we can see ourselves in their story. As we see in this text, there was likely much tension in the community. Paul steps right into it as he draws his letter to a close. Following a request for prayer and a reminder of the Lord's faithfulness found at the beginning of the chapter, Paul writes in verse 6, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. Paul is addressing a persistent problem in the Thessalonian church. Some believers had become unruly and disorderly, most likely as a result of their refusal to work and provide for themselves. It's an ongoing issue, and we know that this is at least the third time that Paul has addressed it, once in person and now twice in writing. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he wrote to them, We urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. And we know by his first letter and here that he experienced the problem firsthand during his initial visit. Now, Paul does not describe the reason why these members continued in this way. Some writers suppose that certain Thessalonians, believing that the day of the Lord had already come, stopped working in eager anticipation of Jesus' arrival. Perhaps these brothers and sisters thought that Jesus worked hard, so I don't have to. 
And in their waiting, they began to disrupt the peace of the community with their fervor and their real physical needs. It's also possible that these disruptive, unruly, idle people had begun to see the church and or prominent members in the church as their patrons on whom they could rely to meet their needs. The Roman patronage system was commonplace throughout all social strata in the empire. This system involved a hierarchical network of patron-client relationships in which the client would serve the needs of the patron and receive payment or goods in return. Often a person unwilling to work hard labor would find a wealthy Roman citizen to whom they could attach themselves. The client would be at the beck and call of the patron to do his or her bidding, to perform mundane tasks, or assist them in their civic duties. In practice, the client would often show up at the patron's house and wait all day for instruction for the day's activities. Many in Roman society who were unwilling to work found this way of living an easy alternative. But they would be tied to a system that led to an idle, meddlesome life that often forced them to participate or enable their wealthy patrons' immoral activities. So it's possible that certain able-bodied members began to treat the church like a patron, imitating a cultural practice that Paul found anathema to the peace of the beloved community. Reading the text, we don't know why these among the community continued to persist in idle, unruly behavior. Was it disdain for work itself? Were they pressing the gospel of the kingdom a bit too far practically and demanding that their needs be met? Was it related to their understanding of the end times and the second coming of Christ? Or was this an attempt by Paul to break up a patron-client relationship that reflected a pagan culture and disrupted the peace? Whatever the reason for their continued disruption, here in verse 6, Paul uses some of the most forceful language found in any of his letters when speaking to the body as a whole. He commands them in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to stay away from anyone engaging in this sort of idol and disruptive living. Paul's warning here is strong, and his command to disassociate with the disruptive idol later in the passage is equally forceful. As I've sat with this passage, I've felt a strong sense of self-preservation kick in, and maybe you feel it too. I don't want somebody to talk to me like this. I don't want my friends, brothers and sisters in this room to disassociate with me. Am I a disruptive, idle person? I have a job and I work hard, okay? I haven't interrupted Pastor James or Pastor Nick during a sermon in a few weeks at least. I sit quietly in community group. I don't sit on the front steps of the church and demand that people pay my bills and When it comes to potlucks, we bring a casserole or chocolate chip cookies. Maybe this isn't for me. I wonder, though, if we're more like these than we think. Do we reflect this conduct in different ways? Do we show up to church looking to consume a product or to care for one another? Do we think more about what we can give to one another or what we can get out of our relationships here? Do we work hard to get our theology right and fail to care for the broken people that surround us? Does our participation reflect our cultural consumption more than it does the grace and mercy of Christ? 
As we consider Paul's strong words toward these members of the body, I think it's important to note a couple of things. One, these were people who were able to work, but unwilling. Paul is not talking to those who are unable to work. The church is to continue in good works, as we see later in the passage, caring for those who can't care for themselves, clothing the poor and feeding the needy. Importantly, we should also note that Paul continues to regard and refer to these as family members, as brothers and sisters. This is not a disqualifying act, but it is an issue to be addressed for the benefit and the reputation of the community. I'll restate my thesis briefly. The peace in the body of Christ is worth it. It's worth Paul's attention here, and it's worth our attention when we encounter disruptive or disorderly members in our, in our midst. But note also that Paul is kind in his writing. Like I said earlier, this is his third warning. He lived with them. He instructed them when he was there, and he noticed this as a tendency. He wrote in the first letter, he's writing here, it's not a quick discipline. It's not something to be taken lightly, but it is something that we need to address when the peace is disrupted. I'd like to step back into the room where the letter was read for just a second. Surely there would have been tension between those who brought casseroles and those who didn't. Between those who paid the bills for those that were unwilling to work and were disorderly. If in the reports Paul received, he recognized these people as unruly disruptors, then the people in the room would have known who he was talking about. Most likely, they were there too. Writing to them in this way was a grace to these believers, calling them to a peace among each other and addressing both the brothers and sisters in the right and the wrong. To the unruly and disruptive, Paul provides a remedy. And to the community as a whole, Paul provides a roadmap for correction. Addressing the disruptive idol, the remedy he describes is for them to imitate him. Verses 7 and 8 and following in 11 and 12 we read, For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive, such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. The remedy for this kind of idle, disruptive living is to work quietly and provide for yourself. And the consequences for not doing so are dire. It's likely the tone of Paul's correction here has as much to do with their continued neglect for his teaching, as it does for the sin itself. They were persistent in this way of living, and he had already warned them. In verse 10, he reminds them that they had already been given this warning. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. Working quietly is a remedy to disorder amongst the community. Let us read this and be encouraged in our work, brothers and sisters. Work hard, not to boast, but to provide and to contribute to the beloved community. 
Let us be encouraged by Paul, Silas, and Timothy's example too. They worked so that the gospel would not be impeded by their needs. Their work, their toil, was in service of their desire to see the gospel proclaimed. May we see our work in the same light. Paul was a tent maker by trade. He used this trade to support himself so that his needs wouldn't be a distraction to those receiving the message. As we work this week for the rest of our lives, let us see our hands as tools to provide a path for the gospel. If any of my questions earlier resonated with you, let this be your guide. Put your hands to good work in this building and outside. There's room here for you to contribute to the work and growth of this church. Maybe ask Margie how you can serve in Sojourn Kids or seek out BJ or Trevor to see what you can do to help with outreach in the gym. Speak with a Connect team member about helping set up and welcome people on Sunday mornings. Do good work, brothers and sisters. So Paul has addressed the idle, the freeloaders, the one who are able but unwilling to work. But he also speaks to the rest of the community. He encourages them and then instructs them how to handle those that continue to disrupt. In verse 13, And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. Speaking now to the whole community, Paul encourages them, Don't grow weary doing what is good. Pursue the good in this community. Pursue what is right, the teaching that we have given you. This encouragement was probably meant as a summation to the whole body gathered to spur them on to peace and good works. But it also probably acted a bit as a preface to his instruction in the following two verses. Because I'm sure they could be hard to hear for some in the room. If the unruly didn't heed his command, they are to be isolated but not abandoned. Verses 14 and 15. Take special note of anyone who does not obey our instruction in this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. Paul's solution to sisters and brothers who don't respond to the correction he has given is strong. In a culture like ancient Rome, notions of shame and honor shaped so much of what people did and how they viewed each other. Being intentionally and publicly shamed would have marked someone and affected their family status significantly. Inscriptions found in the archaeological record show that Thessalonica was a city filled with many religions and other types of cultural associations. These associations would act as social or, or religious clubs with memberships. And often these associations were known for illicit activities, but they would also provide communal meals. They would have been centered around a particular deity or practice or trade. And if a member of one of these associations fell into disrepute or shamed the group in some way, they would be cast out from community meals and gatherings and publicly excluded. So this type of correction, this type of public shaming, probably wasn't foreign to our brothers and, Thess brothers and sisters in Thessalonica. But though it may not have been uncommon in their city, it doesn't make his command any less difficult. This type of treatment was a public shame. 
But I'd like for us to note in Paul's exhortation, he reminds them not to treat them as an enemy, but to warn them as a brother. At the end of verse 15, Yet do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. The correction of a brother or sister always seeks restoration, friends, not punishment. It's redemptive. It's not punitive. When these members who were unruly or disorder would, were cast out or ashamed, Paul says, still regard them as a brother or sister. Speak to them as you would a brother or a sister. Paul knows these instructions would have been read aloud, and perhaps his prayer was that these actions might not need to be taken. As I said earlier, surely the members who were causing the disorder would serve, would be there, and perhaps Paul's words would serve for all the shame they need. Do you see how he cares for the body? How God has given him grace to pursue and love the believers here? He's calling people out, and he's warning them before these corrective actions need to be taken. Brothers and sisters, as we grow as a church, surely there will be times when we have difficult relationships with one another, and I pray that we would pursue each other in love, that we would be long-suffering, and when the time comes to perhaps distance ourselves, that we would do so in love with a hope for redemption and not a hope to punish. The kingdom of God is not without difficulty. There may may be times in the life of this church when we do need to pursue one another with a correcting word. There may be times when a beloved brother or sister doesn't heed our pursuit and we're called like our brothers and sisters here in Thessalonica to distance ourselves. If that time comes, let us seek to redeem, not to punish for the sake of it, but to pursue restoration when possible. Paul makes this clear. The peace and unity of the body is worth this effort. This peace and unity was purchased for us when Christ pursued us and gave himself up for us. He draws us to himself, and in so doing, he draws us to one another. As we partake in this beloved community, let's partake in that peace that Christ has given us as brothers and sisters as a family. May we look at the words of Paul, his care for the body. May we extend that same care to one another. And we share that peace as we continue to learn and grow as a church. My heart for us is that we would pursue one another, break bread together, provide for needs where we can and where we must, and that in all things, the peace and unity of Christ would reign. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the testimony of our brother Paul, our brothers and sisters in the Thessalonian church. God, I pray that we would see Paul's exhortation as an example and encouragement to pursue peace to seek one another out. God, that you would give us the wisdom and the humility to receive correction where needed and that your peace would reign in the walls of this church so that it would reign in this city. 
God, as we partake in the peace of the community, may we take that peace with us as we go. In Jesus' name. I'm James A.P. Fields, Jr., lead pastor of Soldier and Church Carlisle. Thanks for listening. We're a multi-ethnic church that is firmly rooted in the diverse community of South Louisville. We are seeking to equip our members for gospel engagement and practical, effective ministry to the poor, the marginalized, and disenfranchised here in the south end of Louisville and beyond. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support our ministry, visit our website or email us at info at God bless. Thank you.